I'm driving in my car. I'm already mad that the Cubs took my stadium club away, which we should talk to Bob about that. But then I get an email. Of course, I was checking my email. When I was at the light stop. At the light, you were stopped. And it said, "Our last issue of Vineline is coming out in De- uh, December. Thank you for your support." I should read the whole thing, but I was shocked. Vineline, they're ending Vineline, and you're like, "How? Say it isn't so." How can it be? I mean, it's just part of being a Cub fan. It's like chopping off an appendage. I agree. It's like, I can't tell you, I was talking about earlier, I have at least five vine lines in every bathroom in my house. My, every, you know, so I love reading the vine line, but I'm really not happy about it. But then I was thinking, guess what? Guess who we have coming in the studio? Guess who we know? Yeah. The founder of vine line itself. Welcome, Bob. I'm back at the Club 400 Radio. How are you doing today? Doing great. I'll tell you what. They, they, sometimes after I left uh, doing the PR down there, they refer to me as the, the godfather of the Vine Line. And nice. <laughs> That's a good nickname to have, though. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so this is our first episode that we are dropping right away, basically, because I know a lot of people are mad. This is one of the benefits that you get for having season tickets as part of getting a Vine Line subscription. It has a fan of the Cubs. There's nothing better than going out to your mailbox and getting, you know, a really nice magazine. It was always put together great with a lot of different information. And it's something that I'm going to miss. And I know that a lot of Cub fans are going to miss. And I know uh, Margo Anderson, a, a listener to Club 400 Radio, she, she's not happy. She told me she's already mad about the stadium club. There's just, you know, I guess things change. But, uh, Bob, that's why we thought today we'd concentrate on Vineline and We'll talk about how we how you guys got started with the Vine Line because you came with the Cubs in 1981, correct? Came there in '81, the fall of '81, with Dallas Green. Uh, I had been a sports writer with the Washington Post and Baltimore Sun for gosh, 10 years. Covered the Orioles and even a couple years of the old Washington Senators. That dates me a little bit, but uh, I got a chance to know Dallas when I was sports editor in Philadelphia, uh, and uh, I actually ended up writing a book called the Comeback Kids when they won the World Series in 1980. And Dallas and I became good friends. He got the job as GM, comes to Chicago, calls me up on the phone, and he says, hey, I back. He says, we need you here in Chicago. I want you to be my PR director and my assistant. Uh, he said, I said, Dallas, PR. I said, the only PR I know how to do is when guys used to, when I was covering the Baltimore Colts, they'd take me out for dinner for steaks and things like that. Is that what you want me to do when I come to the Cubs? He right. said, I want you to do a little bit more than that. But he says, you've been on the other it's side. It's a start. It's a start. <laughs> yeah. He said, you could, you could, we'll have a nice payroll for you. Yeah. you know. But he said, uh, he says, you know, you did broadcasting with CBS back in Baltimore. You had your own talk show. You did reporting on the, on the Orioles and the pro football teams, the Colts and the Redskins things. He says, you know what the reporters want? He says, the thing that, that I, I'm intrigued about, if you want to come here and switch over, he says, you've been on the other side. You know how the things you needed in the press box to successfully cover a major league team. All I, all I want you to do now is just kind of reverse it and service it the same way that you got the service when you were in Baltimore and Washington, D.C., so uh, I came aboard, and I was amazed when I got there that uh, November. I said, uh, where's the media guide? Well, it was like wafer thin. 
It was like about maybe 30 pages. And I said, uh, how about the scorecard and the souvenir programs? Oh, we don't have uh, souvenir programs. Yearbook? No, we don't put out yearbooks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any other kind of thing? Then he threw this little laminated newsletter on my lap. He says, this goes out four times a year to the diehard fans of the Cubs. He says, uh, we print these out and we send it out to them. So... Um, Bing Hampton was our marketing director. He came in shortly after, and that's when we started the Die Hard Cub Fan Club. And Bing said, we're going to be continuing the newsletters, send out four copies a year to all the fans. We had over 100,000 uh, Cub fans who were Die Hard Cub fan uh, card-carrying members. For You got a laminated card for, like I think it was like 10 or 12, 15 yeah. bucks, and then you got a couple little trinkets and a pin and... He got four issues of this newsletter. And he got the cool certificate. And he got the certificate. Which I still have. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, but, you know, we're doing this, and we're doing it in the 82 season and 83. I'm PR director at that time, and these newsletters are still coming out. Now, we're, we're, we're putting out souvenir programs in, and yearbooks, and, and we, our media guy went up to about 200 pages real quick. Yeah. So we're, our PR department in those days was doing both publications and PR. And then one day I got a call down from uh, Dallas, and he said, you know, the bills are really racking up on these free newsletters because it's postage and it's the printing. And he says, when they started out, I think whoever did it forgot that, you know, four times a year, right. 100,000 copies, it's going to start adding up. And, and it's starting to mount up into hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars. How can we get rid of it? He says, I got an idea. He said, um, let's start a newspaper. You were in the newspaper business. You were a sports editor. You could throw that on your plate. I said, sure, Dallas, one more thing for me to do. <laughs> I said, that's great. Now I'll never see my wife, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> so we started, and I went. Uh, he gave me a, a new staff to work with because at that time, Ned Coletti was my assistant. And Dallas said to me, he says, listen, if you want to really impress Tribune people, he says, they're all into making money. You can turn this thing into a moneymaker. He says, you're going to go up the ladder here. So that kind of caught my ears, and I said, good. So Bill Galante came up from the ticket office, and uh, Ellen Jensen was our secretary, and the three of us were formed the Vine Line publications, our little editorial staff. And we were still putting out the souvenir programs and the media guides and all the other stuff. So it was just one more thing on our plate. And uh, so he said, we got to get rid of the newsletters. How are we going to do that? I said, well, why don't we do this? We've got 100,000 people out there. And why don't we just send the first two fr- copies out free? And, you know, then make the newsletter disappear. They think they're getting the, the newspaper, <laughs> the vine line. So that's what we did. And this went out, and nobody complained. I mean, we sent out over 100,000 copies, and then we got out of that about 40 or 45,000 subscribers at 12.95. So they were rocking and rolling with money coming in on this thing. And then down in the market department, John McDonough and Jay Blanc, both now with the Hawks, they were down there selling advertising. So this was a cash cow coming wow. in. And nobody ever for everybody forgot about the newsletters. The Diehard Cup fan letter, yeah. yeah. One day my phone rings back in publications. Oh, let's go back one second. Yeah. So you you guys want to phase out the newsletter. Yep. And because it's costing the Cubs money, and so you started up Vine Line. So how did how, how did you, so you, you sat in a room. Who came up with the word Vine Line? How did that come into That's place a good. There? Bill Galani and I were sitting back there before we had our first issue. And uh, it was late one night at Wrigley Field, back in my offices. We had a couple beers. We were drinking. It was about 8 o'clock. And uh, so I said to Billy, I said, 
So what are we going to name this thing? He says, I got no idea. He says, uh, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, Bill, there's, from my days in the newspaper business, the word line always sometimes comes up in headlines and things of that nature. And I said, we got it right on the walls out there, the vine, and it rhymes with line. So let's call it the vine line. He says, I'll toast to that. <laughs> so over a beer, that over was it. the word that's, vine line. That's how it came. That's a true story. Didn't even need a napkin. It was just a beer. And, and how, wait, 1980s, 1986, how long did the magazine run for? That's 30, 33 years. Yeah. 33 years. Yeah. I mean, how many magazines run for that long? Oh, you know. Well, you know, in the beginning, and if you look at the first issues, I always made sure it was vine line, two words. But our the guy that designed it, he couldn't get it straight for the first two, couple issues, and it went vine line. It was like that <laughs> came together. Like, <laughs> so it, that's a little quirk that you'll find in, yeah. the, in the whole thing as well. So you guys uh, put out the first issue of Vine Line. Uh, when did you start getting reactions about it? Oh, we the people loved it. I mean, yeah. we are getting letters. Oh, this is great because we tried to focus on things that you wouldn't get in the Chicago area from, from reading the newspapers. Uh, down on the farm, they loved to, to learn about all the farm teams. So we had, I had correspondence in each one of the, the cities that the Cubs had farm clubs. And then we went into trivia, and then we had a, a at-home section where we would go out and visit with a ball player and get to know them. And, Which is and, awesome. I think we knew, need, the Cubs need to do that with yeah. the play, current yeah. players. It, it gives you, know? you the personality. Yeah, right. you want to know the, these yeah. guys, you know. And then there was a lot of trivia stuff in there, and it was, I had a column that I wrote in there, and of course you couldn't, you, you weren't going to slam the Cubs, you worked for him, you know, right. if you wanted your next paycheck. <laughs> right. So there was a line, but I always tried to make sure it was not just a rah, rah, rah piece. It was objective. We looked at different things of that nature. So, you know, uh, it, it served a purpose, and we knew that a lot of our subscribers were coming from, like, uh, you know, the, the Quad Cities area uh, out in Arizona. St. Paul, Minnesota. I started getting it from oh. issue one. And, and other than watching the Cubs on WGN, which I was able to do back then. Right. It was my only connection to the team. I didn't get the the trib or the local papers here or anything like that. There was no internet, of course. It was the mine line. Well, you know, I, I I'm getting I'm after this came out the other day. I'm getting inundated on, on my computer with people who are just some of them are really upset about the mine line going. I don't want the. I mean, honestly. That, that's something I really look forward to every month. When I went to the mailbox, hell, there's no bill, there's no bills in here. I got a Cubs magazine. This is yeah. great. Yep. It's a great day, and I go in immediately, peruse through it real quick, find out what articles I'd read later, and uh, you know they did a good job notifying you what was coming up on their charity events and stuff like that. And it, you know it's been a great magazine. Uh, it really, you know, I don't want to I don't want to blow her on horn for what we did, but I think it, it has served a great purpose. And I'll I'll go into in a few moments after I tell the story about how we kind of got away from the newsletter, where I think this may be headed. I have a, I have a clue where it may be headed. Back to finding out, you know, how to get how to get rid of the, the of the newsletter. Right. Nobody complained about it. So one day I get this call. And it's uh, it was it, it it came in from the from the uh, the front desk, and they uh, they said, Bob, you want to take this call from this little old lady? She she wants to know uh, she wants to know what the hell's going on with her vine line. I said, Yeah, send it back here. So now this woman who I found out later on is about seventy eight years old. She's screaming into the phone. I know what you did. I know what you did. It's the old bait and switch. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Uh oh. <laughs> She, this woman may be on to what we did. She says, 
I got, I got, I said, didn't you get the nice two free issues of the, of the Vine line? And do you like the publication? I tried to soften it. Yeah, but I don't want to pay twelve ninety five for that thing. I was getting four free issues for 12 years of the, the newsletters. I said, she says, I said, well, you know, I tried to soften it again. I said, well, you didn't get all the kind of information on the farm teams and everything. It's just, I don't care. It was free. So I said, I'll tell you what, let me calling you out. Let me see what I can do for you, and I'll get back. What's your phone number? So I hung up. I went right down the hallway, knocked on Dallas's door, said, "Hey, boss, we got to talk." I said, "I got a call from a 78-year-old lady in Downstate Illinois, and she figured out what we've done." the old bait and switch. She wants her newsletters. And I said, I don't think you want to just print one newsletter for this lady. Right. So I said, I got an idea. Why don't we just give her a lifetime? She's 78. Give her a lifetime membership. Maybe she, <laughs> you know. Maybe you're only sending it to her two more years. Yeah. Let me run the numbers. $123. She should be good. Let's give her a lifetime membership. I'll, I'll give her a lifetime. We'll invite her out. We'll treat her like a VIP. Let her, th- let her go ahead and, uh, you know, we'll give her a box seat downstairs, the whole thing, okay? Put her name and lights on the, on the scoreboard in center field. And uh, then Dallas says, he says, if she wants to, she, if she could reach home plate, if she's got an arm, <laughs> let her throw at the first pitch. I said, you got it. So I scurried back down oh my to my gosh. office, called her back. I was all excited. I said, you never believe what I'm, I got approved. I said, we're going to invite you out next year to a game of your choice, two seats, you're going to get a chance to have your name in lights. Uh, we're giving you a lifetime membership to the Vine Line. And I, and, and I said, if you'd like to, you could even throw out the first pitch. And she stopped. She says, I thought you'd see it my way. <laughs> and she says, but I need one more thing, Sonny. I said, what can I do for you? She says, I need a beer and a couple dogs when I get to the ballpark. I said, do you take mustard with that? <laughs> That's why I let, 78 that's, years old, and she wants phenomenal. her beer and two hot dogs. That's great. Yeah, it was, it that's, was a great, that's such a great story. But, you know, it, it just, it just I, I, I still tell that story once in a while. I said, it was amazing that this one woman. One person. One person. I think she was, like, from Peoria. Yeah. You know, she, she uncovered the truth behind the, 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 the bait, bait and switch. switch. I love that she called it that, too. <laughs> that's, that's she awesome. got me. She said, that's a bait and switch, Sonny. <laughs> and I, I wish I could have saw your face when you took that phone call. Yeah, she no like, kidding. She's oh. exactly right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, when you when you mentioned this the other day about the Vine Line seizing publication in December and everything else, I I told my wife I said you know, this may be the ultimate bait and switch. And here's what I think may happen. When I was just before I left there at the end of the '89 year, uh, I had gone. I I, I started out Vine Line of uh, Braille. We had we had Vine Line for the blind. Really? Yeah. With, with the wow. with the, the 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 lighthouse for the blind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We worked yeah. with them because we had a reporter Bob Greenberg okay. who was blind and used to cover our game. So I got a Braille edition introduced to the Vine Line. We also started a Vine Line on cassette so that you could actually. Put it in, put it into your car yeah. and listen to it, or like a podcast. Yes. Early, early days podcast. Yeah, right. yeah. No, we were much. we were before our time. Yeah. that was before, an idea yeah. that like. And then the other one, and I went to Don Gronesco about this, and I said, why don't we do tie it in with WGN? Have a have a Vine Line show. I said I did TV and radio back in Baltimore once a week. I said we'll do a Vine Line show and we'll have it as a segment for like the uh, at half an hour before a Cubs game or half an hour after a game. Mm-hmm. I think what they may be doing is this. The Cubs took the Vine Line back in-house after farming it out to a place in Cincinnati for a bunch of years. I think they may have done that to control I'm only speculating, to control it. 
have it under their uh, control, mm-hmm. and I think they're getting that TV contract. Right. And they're going to go ahead and start a, a, their own television station. What a great idea then to go ahead and take Vineline. Maybe they won't call it that, right. but they'll have a, a, a video type because people are using different platforms now to right. get their news. Not so much newspapers and magazines, but different platforms. I could see Vineline evolving into some sort of a made-for-television show with the same type of information you have in the Vineline being now in a TV format. And if you subscribe to the new Cubs TV program, hey, we'll throw that in for free. Right. Kind of the, the bait and switch again. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, oh, no, I'm I, sure I think... they'll charge you, but... <laughs> yeah, no. It'll be a hidden charge. Yeah, right. And since the Ricketts have taken over the Cubs, one thing they have done a lot is send surveys out to the fans. So I'd say about two years ago, I received a survey, and it was about, I don't think I ever told you this, Bob, it was about Vineline. And, you know, I, I, I took the survey, and, of course, yes, I want my Vineline, you know, but I could try, I could see that they were trying to wean away from it. And what I got was they wanted to stop printing it and maybe make an electronic version of it, you know, that will be available. So I may be right then. Well, I think you're exactly right. I, I think they're just tired of the printing and the shipping, and they're going to, you know, they're going to bring it in a different format. But And it could be the TV show because that was before they knew they had, you know, at the point in time two years ago. They didn't know, you know, they, up until recently if they were going to have their own network or not. So, but, you know... It's still, you know, everybody likes the hard copy of something. It's like, you know, it sucks nowadays. You buy CDs, you don't, you, it's just, you know, you download the songs and, you know, it's like albums. You yeah. want the album, you want the, you want the paper that comes with it. I think, know? I think you're right, but I think if you look at the audience as a whole, it is moving more towards electronic delivery and podcasts. There, there, I've heard car companies talk about they're not going to have AM, FM radios anymore. It's all going to be podcasts and satellite in their, in well, their car. you, you got to look at it this way. We are getting old. We're not any young chickens here. Right. So my daughter's like, what are you doing, Dad? You going on TV today? I said, no, I'm going on the radio. She goes, what's that? Mm-hmm. And exactly, what's yeah. that, you know? Oh, right? yeah, it's, it's so true. I've, I, I deal on radio all the time with a couple of my clients going around the country and talking on different talk shows and so forth. And uh, so much stuff now is syndicated. They don't have local DJs on sometimes, even on afternoon drive. Middays is usually always syndicated. They do a lot of voice tracking. Uh, I mean, there was one gal who was ranked number one in Chicago, and uh, WLIT, I think it was, Melissa Melissa Foreman, really good morning show. She got bounced to the PM show. She told me her program director told her, hey, I don't want you talking more than 45 seconds at one segment because we lose listeners when you engage them. Just keep on spinning music and right. just play music. That's yeah. all they want to hear because we have to compete against these other uh, services. That That's all they do. Right. The younger generation today is just listening to music. They don't want to hear talk. I was Going back to the Vine line, I was wondering, I, I thought this for a while, but when you guys were producing your content for, you know, it's always been monthly, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, then you got your program that you got to put out. So how did you intermingle the two, and how did you differentiate the two from the program that's being sold at the field and the mailing that's being sent home to the Cub fans who might not get a chance to go to Wrigley because they might live in, you know, wherever? You know? That's a good question. I mean, uh, our souvenir program, it had uh, we, we used to have certain sections that we call stay sections. It would be in there the whole year. And then there was a certain section, maybe 32 pages, that would change. And we looked at more in-depth features. 
uh, about uh, ball players or about uh, personalities or whatever. I mean, I went out one time to, to L.A. on a road trip, and I interviewed Leo DeRocher out there. And from his days, talking and reminiscing about his days as Cub manager, went into in-depth on that. And I got enough information that I could actually write one angle for the souvenir programs, but a different angle that I could use for vine line. So, you know, you knock off two at the same time. I see. And uh, so, you know, everything had to be, it was a lot of planning that we had to do. I mean, in the off season, I got two, two weeks off around just before Thanksgiving. And then we had to get the media guide plan. We had the, we had the uh, Cubs uh, in those days, the caravan that we went to different cities. Mm-hmm. That came up in, in January. We go to like 10 different cities uh, on a bus for a week. Um, uh, and do luncheons and dinners. That had to be planned. Spring training was ready in February. Uh, we had, uh, you know, the plan for the first edition of the souvenir program. Then we had the vine line coming out every month. It was a, a lot of stuff on you. How many people did you have on your staff? Well, in those days, I had Ned Coletti. I had Sharon Panazzo, who later became Cubs PR director after Ned left. Uh, and I had an intern and myself. We had four. So you had four people. Doing all uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of hours. I, lot of I used work, to have yeah. I used to have a cot down in the umpire's room because there were a lot of nights I slept down there until the rats started coming in, <laughs> chased me out. <laughs> and you it. and you did a lot of writing back in the day. Oh yeah, well you know like, I you know when I covered the uh, the Orioles, I was their beat writer and I was traveling with them all around. And then I'd I'd switch off uh, if I had any time off. During the football season, I'd be covering the Colts or the old Baltimore Bullets, and and uh, so I did. I did. I must have written probably, on the average, two thousand articles a year. Do you know how much money? How much money you could have made? Because you know the Cubs and the Tribune are really cheap back then. They wanted to wear you to wear right. like twenty different hats. Oh yeah. You know? Oh absolutely. You right. did. You did a little bit of everything from. You were probably you were a bargain. Well, you know what? I figured out utility guy. <laughs> I figured out when we saved them from the newsletter. I did. I did a quick little thing when we got rid of that. The money we saved from that, and then the money that we made off the Vine Line subscriptions, because we got up to forty-five or fifty thousand, was probably about five hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, which is a lot of money back then. Yeah. Throw in the advertising that you had in these things, right. and then the money that we saved that we didn't have to print newsletters. I, I figured two million dollars a year that we that we brought in, which in those days. That's I mean, look, look at the salaries. I mean, Larry, Larry, Larry Boa was our most expensive yeah. player, and he was making about uh, $150,000. Right. I mean, the, the, the Cubs coaches back then, right. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them that today, but there were two coaches that were making less than I was making. No way. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so, going to be a good story to unearth later. When you left the Cubs, have you been following Vine Line since you left or not really? Yeah, a little bit, you know. Uh, would you get, I, I would hope that yeah. you were getting up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I keep up with it. I followed the guys that, you know, they, sometimes they call me up and I was interviewed a couple times for memory lane type things mm-hmm. and doing that kind of things with the Vine Line. And I always liked it when they took it to the next level and, and had laminated the cover and took it to a higher level and so forth. I thought it was a well-put-together publication. I didn't like it when they shrunk it a little bit. I liked the bigger tabloid mm-hmm. picture. Right. But I thought it was, a you know, we the, the four years that I was there and ran the Vine Line, three of those four years we were voted the number one publications uh, in all of baseball. I, we got trophies for it and everything else. Ned looked at me and says, yeah, we got a trophy, but we didn't get a raise. <laughs> <laughs> He, he walked into my office one day. I just said, "Yeah." I, he says, "I took this home and showed this to my wife, the trophy." She says, "Well, did you get any extra money?" He says, "Not yet." Oh, so, what was your initial reaction when you 
first heard that they were going to end it. Which, I mean, by the way, when I when I had that email and I sent it to Bob, I didn't. I, I sent it to him because I wanted him to know about it right away. Because, but I was like, man, I kind of felt bad when I sent it. Yeah, you know what? You know, that's how I found out. Yeah, uh, I heard some rumors, but that's how I found out. And I figured, you know, everything comes to an end. Uh, it's sad. It's sad when you you go back in the memories of, of, of starting it, naming it, nursing. It was like your little baby, right. you know. A lot and, of blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, you know. And cots. And, you know, but I understand everything's a business, and I just hope that maybe in some way, shape, or form, they come back with a new platform and they incorporate at least some of the ideas and concepts that you see in mm-hmm. Vine Line, you know, and so forth. I uh, I was telling uh, Kathy Weedley, who you know, it was my daughter Kelsey's uh, godmother, and she's down at Wrigley Field now. I said, you know, I said maybe maybe Kathy can just drop a little hint. I'd love to see somebody with the Cubs. Anybody listening to this today, maybe you could call the Cubs and let them know. You know my daughter's situation. She's in a wheelchair from the car accident and everything else, but she's she's a great gal. I would love to see if maybe somebody down there would invite my daughter to throw out the first pitch. We're going to be down there on, on September 29th. Okay, gotcha. and Maybe Maybe yeah. have a little salute to the Vine line that day. There you go. I yeah. could walk her out with her wheelchair to the mound and let her throw out the first pitch. So I'm just planning an All idea right. out I there. Like there it. you go. Yeah. I like it a lot. We could definitely put it in the right person's hands yeah. maybe, yeah. So as far as um, the the the, the – when you guys were doing Vine Line, and uh, you, did you get tell me a story uh, that uh, you'll always remember? Maybe you weren't going to meet deadline, or maybe an article that you got some, you know, t- trouble for, or just probably something. I'll tell a good, you a good behind the scenes Bob <laughs> Ibeck story, please. This is a good story. This okay. is, this took place in Tempe, Arizona, and uh, I went out there, and uh, after beating Ryan Sandberg. Uh, in playing racquetball during one of our Cubs caravans. To this day, he still, when he looks at me, he says, I can't believe the frickin' PR director squashed me in, in racquetball and everything. And that, I schooled him pretty good in basketball, too, because mm. I played hoops in college, you know, and uh, we played some uh, basketball. So in spring training, uh, I went out there, because Ryan had his home in Tempe, okay. and he was married to Cindy in those days. And... Uh, he had come off the MVP season in 84, and he was getting all these trophies and all these awards and everything else, okay? So he invited me over to the house, and but he had to go back to the ballpark. So I was there with Cindy interviewing her for this at-home story that you'll see in the Vine Line. And uh, so we're, we're going into this big den area where all this memorabilia from Ryan's career is in there and everything else. And I looked at Cindy and I said, you know, uh, someday the Hall of Fame may come calling you. And asking for a couple of these artifacts and uh, to put them in the Hall of Fame up in Cooperstown. And she didn't miss a beat. She looked at me and says, well, we can always sell them a few of these. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, uh-oh. Nice. <laughs> uh, nice. So that was, that, was kind of, that was kind of an inside story there with, with, with Rhino. And uh, I always had a lot of fun uh, with Billy Connors. Our late pitching, pitching coach, yeah, yeah, because we did a story with him down at his home in Clearwater, and uh, Lucy, the pet parrot, and in those days, <laughs> Billy was dating uh, Seika, the porno queen, okay, who we positioned <laughs> behind home plate on a few occasions and and used to our advantage to right? to <laughs> deflect uh, pitches coming in from the opposing team and at opportune moments, and uh, Larry Bow invited me down with with Connors to go down there and. Uh, we played uh, uh, golf with Billy DeMars from the Phillies, and it was right off the golf course where Connors had his condo. So we, at the turn, Billy invites us in, and we're all sitting there. He's making sandwiches in the kitchen and everything else. And I hear over my shoulder, and Bo was sitting on the couch with me, 
I hear this, no more dirty movies, Billy. No more dirty movies, Billy. And I'm figuring, <laughs> what is that all about? And I'm looking around, he, and Billy says, ah, that's Lucy. He had an Amazon pet, pet Amazon uh, parrot. And it, these things live for like 60 years. In fact, Lucy is still alive today. Really? Yeah, she's over 60 years old. Wow. And these and so I guess so Billy tells us the story, says, Yeah. She says, We just got Seika just sent me the the, the the two newest films she she did. You guys wanna see it while we're having having lunch and Connor and and Boa says, I am not eating any tuna fish sandwiches and, and bologna sandwiches and watching Seika films and having a parrot over my shoulder. <laughs> So he says, Billy, we're, this is not the right time. He says, we got we got to get back out to the 10th tee. Bob Ivek, the oh, founder awesome. of Vineline. Thanks hey, for coming on today. We're going to do a little podcast extra here. But, yeah, uh, but let's give away something. Let's give away a hat. I'm going to let Bob pick the contest. Well, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of things that we could do, but one of the features that we had in the Vineline, and uh, it was a feature, it was called the Bleacher Creature. And it was written by somebody who, in that period of time, in the middle 80s, uh, was not really doing what he became more noted for later on. But he had uh, been a member of the uh, the Bleacher Bums back in the late 60s. And later, I'll give a hint, uh, his initials, that's all, he would never put the name on, on the column. It would just, at the very end, it would be M period, M period. And uh, he later went on to become a... Uh, quite a celebrity here in Chicago on the radio. I'm not going to give what station, but uh, his initials were M period, M period. And so the question would be, who was the bleacher creature? Who's MM? Posted on the Club 400 radio page for the winner. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. So, Bob, I was going to ask you, we're just doing that to end the radio. We're a half-hour radio thing, but... uh, we're, I want, we're I in overtime. Yeah, we're in overtime. Yeah, overtime. <laughs> is this on tape, though? Yeah, we're, okay. oh, this yeah. is going to be on we're the podcast. We're still rolling. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah, good. <laughs> so um, I wanted to br- – I mean, it's kind of a side story, but it's not really – you know, obviously Vineline was the biggest publication in Chicago Cubs history, without a doubt. But I think the number – you also did the first night game program, which was – Yeah. I, I mean, that today, right now, as a collector, that's what – you know, everybody has – I mean, if you're a Cub fan, you want that first night game. So talk to us about that. That was your idea. Also, that was correct. my idea. Yeah. I actually, I actually also found that uh, you know uh, uh, Harry Grossman. The, oh yeah, I I, I, wanted, w- I wanted you to ask to tell this story. This is a great story. I don't even know if William knows mm-hmm. this. Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting story. I got a call one day uh, from uh, a little old man, uh, Harry Grossman, who had been a Cub fan going back to the turn of the century. He was like ninety-two or ninety-three years old, and. Uh, he inquired about the Vine Line and some of our other publications. At that time, it was 1988, we were looking for who would be the best Cub fan to, to turn, switch on the lights. And uh, so the more I got to talk to Harry, he was like a grandfather to me. He was a great guy. And uh, I went down to John McDonough. I said, John, I think we got the right guy to turn and switch on the lights in August on August the 8th. I said, Harry Grossman. So I met with Harry. He took me over where West Side Grounds used to be, told me stories about mm. when he was a kid, because he was born in the late uh, 1890s. He would come home, l- peer through the wooden uh, fence at uh, West Side Grounds, and he actually would watch games where Tinker, Evers, and Chance played. Oh, wow. And it was amazing to hear this guy, the history and everything else. So uh, 
Harry, I told him, we're going to bestow the honor on you to become the guy that turned. He just, oh, he thought this was the greatest thing. Told all his grandkids and told all his his family and everything else. And he was a season ticket holder. He would come out to like 50 or 60 Cub games and would sit on the first base side in the lower grandstands. Always would be there. I knew exactly where he sat. So the night that it was supposed to be, and that we told Harry that it was just a, a, a box down there. It really wasn't a switch. But all you got to do is kind of punch it and and say let there be light right <laughs> so he really thought it was a switch so he's down there and he's switching it back and forth and, he, and he's saying where's the lights <laughs> he says let there be light <laughs> and then the lights popped on and everything else. so that was kind of fun with, with ha- having him but you know it was it was i asked bob about this bob where is the switch mm. <laughs> No one knows where that switch is, but I bet that switch would be worth a lot of money. Oh, yeah. oh. Think about it. To a Cubs collector, that would sure. look real good in Club 400. It would look good. <laughs> that, that, that box with the switch, that would be a, a historic piece of memorabilia. But I remember how we, we tried to hide the fact that we were going to resurrect, uh, or I shouldn't have resurrect, but erect the, the light stands is there. Because we were afraid that people in the neighborhood, if we if we showed that we're going to do this outside where the Yum Yum Donuts was in the parking lot there and lay out all these stanzas, light stanzas there, they'd come over and shoot them out with BB guns. So if you remember where I think it was the where the Taco Bell is now, it used to be Brown's Chicken. Mm. There's a building right behind there, and it was a warehouse that the Cubs owned. Well, that's where we constructed all the light stanzas. And then on the morning that we decided to put them up, at 6 o'clock in the morning, before anybody was up in the neighborhood, these flatbed trucks brought them over very gently. And then all of a sudden, like a scene from MASH, helicopters descended on <laughs> Wrigley Field, lifted them up, and within an hour, they were all in place. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. It wow. was and then Well planned. It was, a lot of, it, was, it was a lot of different things that went behind the scenes. But I, when I did for the magazine, uh, some of the, I did a historical piece in there about some of the weird things that, you know, happened at Wrigley Field and, and tied in the lights. And the first night game at Wrigley Field wasn't in 1988. There was a night game at Wrigley Field in the 19, late 1940s during the war years played by women's base, professional women's mm. baseball. Portable lights were put up there. There were boxing matches that were held at Wrigley Field. Under the lights. Under the lights. Mm. So those were, those were uh, events that actually you know, were at Wrigley Field that had lights. But the most bizarre thing I found out in digging up all this information – now, I don't know if either one of you guys knew this. Rickley Field, uh, back in the 30s, I think it was, or 40s, also served as a ski slope. Did not know that. Upper deck right behind home plate. Okay. Okay, that's where the lift was, and then they had the slope that go right down to the pitching mound. And in the wintertime, when it snowed, that became a ski slope. And oh, it was my Rickley, gosh. Yeah. Wow. So they had, and then, of course, everybody knows the story about the ivy. And, the, and, and and how Vec and his father planted it out there. Mm-hmm. Bill told me that story one day. We're sitting in the bleachers, and he's out there in his shorts, no shirt, smoking a cigarette. And I got my pad of paper out there because I'm going to do something for this book that I was writing also, uh, uh, Cup Fan Mania, that I wrote with Ned Coletta. Yeah, I have a copy. And uh, in, in that, so I look down, and he's got the cigarette, and he keeps on hitting his knee. And I look down, because he has a wooden leg. Well, he built an ashtray in his right knee. <laughs> and so he, he would get up, empty the ashes right on the ground. That was Bill. Wow. Barnacle Bill. What a guy. I mean, you know, he was one of the great characters that I met in my baseball career. 
uh, Bill Vick. I bet you. And as some of our listeners know, Bob's been over to Club 400 uh, a lot, many times. He does the Q and A's, and he is probably one of the best guys to sit around and have a beer with because he's got tons and tons and tons of story. Uh, tell us that story. I don't know how to refer to it otherwise. And has the fax machine story when you guys were selling tickets, or what was it? The fax machines. <laughs> I think that's a good story. I love it. <laughs> the fax machine story? Yeah. <laughs> was, what year was that? 80? That was when I was PR director, and I can't name Now, th- that was before 84, right? Before they won it? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the fax machine story, we used to have, well, there's two fax machine stories. There's a printer story, and because back in those days, we had the, uh, remember the old ink things that you, you used to, the, 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 um, like rollers? Yeah. And it, it, we had a we had an intern in there that got high every day on the, the fumes that were coming out <laughs> from this. But I think the fact story you were alluding to, there was a there was a I call him a gentleman. <laughs> he was a sportscaster in town, and I had a kind of an interesting secretary in those days. And uh, so I came back late one night to do get my press notes ready for the the game the next day, and uh, I didn't see my secretary there, and I didn't and, and I go back into the room where the fax machine was. And this particular sports writer and my secretary were having an interesting affair back there on, <laughs> on, on, the, fax on the fax machine <laughs> and, on, and, and, and on the Xerox machine. And all I could say, the only thing I could say is I walked away. I said, look, guys, I said, I don't want to see any smears tomorrow on my press notes. <laughs> oh, Lord. That's uh, awesome. So you, we will be hearing more of Bob Ibeck down the yeah, line for sure. This, is part, uh, this was not part the epi- one of many. Yeah, this <laughs> was the uh, first. Int- we, well, we wanted to do the Vine Line thing just because it's prevalent right yeah, now the in the news, and there's a lot of people mad yeah. about it, and and they have the right to be. I think at the end of the day, you know, um, th- you know, things change, and things not always are always good changes. I'm not no. saying that, but it's just we, it's everything evolves, and we'll see what happens next. But. Vineland will always be in the hearts of uh, all the Cub fans out there. How could it not be? It's there 36 years. Well, it tickles me when I get feedback from fans. I can't, probably in the last two or three days since the announcement, I've probably gotten over 50 emails from people that said, you know, how much I look forward to getting Vineland when I was a little boy, or I became a Cubs fan because I lived in Wisconsin, and everybody made fun of me but uh, because I wasn't a Brewers fan or a a Braves fan in those days, but Vine Line was, I looked forward to it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, it, it kept me connected. And, you know, I had a couple of people that said that I kept their grandfather more lucid mm-hmm. <laughs> because he was reading Vine Line right. and he didn't get distracted and, get, and didn't get, you know, too down on life because he always looked forward to getting that Vine Line. So, you know, you don't know how you can touch people's lives. You just don't know. And if it served a great purpose, I'm very blessed that we were able to put it out and do it. And, uh, you know, it's 33 years is a good run. I also propose, we'll, we'll put that request in, that the last issue, right? Mm-hmm. This guy should be on the cover, man. For sure. Should be <laughs> on the cover. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Well, you know, that that would be nice. Uh, you know, I was there at the beginning. It would be kind of cool to be there at the very end. You know? Right. Exactly. So, well, thanks for coming on with us, Bob. Appreciate it. And always a pleasure being around both you characters. Uh, we've had a lot of laughs over the last uh, year uh, and a half. Of they've just in. started. And there's lots more Bob <laughs> Ibeck stories to come. I promise you, listeners. But so, I do uh, want to say one thing in, in closing, uh, Stu. What you've done with Club 400 to reach out to Cub fans, and I've seen it on the times I've been out and the monies that you've raised for great causes in the community. It, I know it's Cub fans helping Cub fans, and it's a beautiful thing that you're doing to be able to share 
what you have over at your your treasure chest there at the house and be able to share it with other people. It's a it's a great thing and be able to raise monies for for important projects. Um, you know, you're you're a very blessed man and be able to give back to the community is a great thing. Well, I'm very honored to do so and I'm I you know, kick myself every day for I just it, never planned on it, and I think that's probably the best thing. Never planned on any of this happening. Never planned on sitting in the studio with you two guys. I promise you that. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you know, here I am. A, here I here I am a Redskins guy, okay, and I'm looking across at Bill, and he's a he's a Vikings guy. But I did give you Kirk Cousins, <laughs> and, and we gave you Adrian Peterson right back. That was so. <laughs> the, the old old version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for giving me Peterson after I watched him play the other day. I, I'm not too overjoyed. <laughs> that's right. All right, on that note, we're going to say goodbye. Thanks again, and we will see you next week. This is the end, beautiful prayer. This is the end, my